is lovely. It's nice to just, it's just nice to come together and be in his presence, isn't it? Like it's a, it's a good place. It's a place, it's a place of comfort. It's a place of inspiration. It's a place of encouragement. It's a place of clarity. It's a place of peace. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Yeah, well, there's lots going on before we sort of dive into a truth this morning. It's like, it just feels like every week is a big week at the moment, you know? It's like, you know, you kind of go through seasons where you feel like, oh, like, are we ever going to do anything? Is there anything going on? Is there, you know, what, what's, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, kind of like today, like, I don't know if anybody else felt it yesterday, but it was like, oh, summer's coming. Oh, you can feel it. You can feel the warmth coming in the day. Like, look at it out there, you know? It's like blue sky. I had a float on the pool yesterday. Yeah, I took a minute. I did, I took a minute. It was a little frosty still, but that's all right. That's all right. Yeah, it's like, oh, summer's coming, you know? And, and sometimes seasons change really quickly, and it feels like you got to kind of catch up to the, to the change of season. It feels like, um, you know, we'll talk a bit about it this morning, but you know, we're really used to an individual mindset, a mindset that goes, well, this is what's happening in my life, or this is the season I'm in, or this is the trajectory I'm on, you know, but... Uh, we live a communal faith and we have a God who deals with people uh, in collections. You know, I mean, you will have heard it said that Jesus would have died just for you. Well, and really, that's just trying to emphasize something that is really unnecessary for it to be emphasized, because if you're all about you, that's going to be the most important truth you can receive. Right? It's got to be all about me. So Jesus would have had to do this for me. But the truth of the matter is he didn't do this just for you. He did this for the people of God, for all who would receive him, for all who would collect themselves into his presence and call themselves together the people of God. And God deals with people in collection. I, and I believe we've lost a, a mindset for this in some senses, like we've lost the ability to, to see and receive our identity together as the people of God, as the body of Christ. And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this this morning, but you know, God deals with my family. Leela and I and Ella and I as one, we move together. He deals with our, our, our church family as one. In some senses, we find ourselves in seasons moving together as one. You know, maybe you could experience this at a workplace, Golden Valleys. Like, for example, uh, you know, we have all at Golden Valleys jumped on an express train towards a busy summer and, and we're moving as one in that. You know, and so it's not such a strange idea to think, but, you know, we still see our lives as uh, independent and on their own trajectory. And God just, I don't believe he views us that way. I believe he desires and intends to deal with us in uh, collections of people. And in some way, shape or form, those who choose to belong here are part of a collection of people. And anyway, I'll get to the point. But, you know, it feels like seasons have changed. And it feels like some things are moving forward. Like, I mean, just this week, um, Hannah and Janessa have both resigned positions in some way, shape, or form 
and are moving. <laughs> I don't know if it's a fist bump or if it's a give me a hug. This is, <laughs> no. but anyways, and are moving in some way, shape, or form for some period of time at some capacity towards helping us out at Golden Valleys. That's a big deal. You know, Grace, you're jumping into some really big things this week. And I think before the morning's out, we'd like to take a minute and pray for you just because God's, God's, you know, opening doors of new influence for you. And uh, yeah, we want to, we want to partner and stand together with you in that. You know, yesterday, Leela and I sold our house. It's a, uh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm having... Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit hard to keep my feet on the ground at the moment, I think. It just feels like there's so much going on. And so much changing, you know. The sun's come out, and and uh, yeah, a new season has opened up, and it feels like in so many ways across the board, and in our own ways, you know. Ben and Janessa got permanent residence three weeks ago. That's a new season, you know, and it's like, you know, sort of in collection, in collection in our own ways, in our own expressions of this. You know, it's like God said, this is a new season and we're going to open up some new things. We've come through some things uh, and it's it's time for uh, some steps to be taken towards a, a new future. And that's happening in individual lives. But I think when we look at what's happening amongst us collectively, it's like God's opened up a new season. Something's shifting, something's changing for those who find themselves as one here. And I'm excited for that. It's, it is also overwhelming, there's no question. You know, anytime things are changing and changing quickly, it's sort of like coming into sync with that can be a tricky thing. Uh, even good things, even amazing things, uh, even blessed and abundant things are, are at times like, oh, 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 oh. of me. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, anytime, anytime we begin to take ground, uh, we, we need to, we need to find ourselves steadied by his voice. And so I just encourage you again in that, like, you know, even when the changes are good, uh, it gets noisy around seasons of transition, seasons of change, and things are moving forward. When it, you know, something in motion is easier to knock off course than something standing still. And so when you take steps and as, as life is gaining momentum, as it's gaining speed towards things, let's just keep finding ourselves at the peace of his presence and in the place we find ourselves. But yeah, we're excited. There's a lot happening. It's sort of like, you know, keeping up with the storylines can be a bit, a bit much, you know? I mean, for us with the house, like, I think this was our eighth Saturday of opens, I think, like eight weeks, I think. I think. Anyway, and in, in between yesterday and the day before, you know, eight weeks in, eight weeks in and we hadn't had an offer. And then this week, three people came to the table all making offers. That's, it's, that's a really unpredictable situation. One of those had been there since week one and we're not the people to purchase the property, so I'm sure they're a little disappointed. <laughs> okay, Grace didn't want them to get it, that's good. You and our agent both, so anyways. 
But yeah, it's, uh, you know, I think God does write good stories and his timing is good. And we get to be there till February 6th, which we're happy about. So we guess we get a Christmas there, which we really didn't think was going to be the case. We thought putting it on the market when we did. But God told us at the beginning, the story is going to change along the way. And don't plan for it until you've got a contract in your hand. And yeah, so now we got some big questions about life next year. And you know, we're really excited about a house in Rosebud that we're going to move into. It's, it's the people who live close by is a little bit concerning, but <laughs> you know who you are. <laughs> nah, I don't know. There's, there's, and our, our, the neighbor's house is owned by Glenn, and he's threatening that we could have all sorts of people there. So who knows? Anyway, Jesus, take the wheel. But, you know, it's good. There's something opening up among us, and God's continuing to write a story and build something here uh, and here and here. And we're, uh, we're thrilled with his goodness towards us. So, yeah. Yeah. So we'll express our gratitude today for a God who's writing great stories, gets great outcomes on house sales, gets great outcomes on business fronts, navigates our life and our partnership with one another and with him so well. And so we'll just keep trusting him to write a good story. Hey, we'll take faith for uncertain and unknown futures that are already written in the, the book of life that Jesus has written on our behalf. So, all right, change gears. Yeah. Well, we've kind of spent this is where we were supposed to be in houses this week because Golden Valleys did have a booking today, which it doesn't now. So we're here, which is nice. So we're in Ephesians today. If you're like, oh, why are we in Ephesians? This is a together Sunday. We do Ephesians. This is how we mapped it out so that we could get through all of the scriptures in time. So we're going to look at the second half of Ephesians chapter five together this morning, but just to kind of refresh us, because we know that this, these scriptures were written as one letter you know, kind of not as, uh, you know, the way we deal with them in pieces or chunks so that we can try and get our heads around how extraordinary Paul's thinking was about our faith. Um, you know, two weeks ago, uh, we read the first half of chapter five, which is about, you know, um, imitate Jesus as children imitate their father. And it went on to express what that looks like and talk about what that might be like and talk about what his heart was for us in that. And then last week, we sort of talked about this idea um, on the back of that of Jesus being our example of a son and a son living out um, the reality of, I want to be just like my dad. That was the example that Jesus gave us, a, a picture of wanting to be like God. And Jesus is our example. We get to, we get to live a life that says, I want to be just like Jesus. You know, we can feel weak or we can feel ashamed or that can feel cheesy or it can feel kitsch. But the truth of the matter is when I put those words and I sew them into my heart and I go, I want to be like Jesus, something good's going to grow from the soil of that desire. And it's, 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 it's a lie that we need to write our own story, come up with our own good life, make something happen, become something and do something. The greatest and most powerful thing that we can do is live with a heart that beats that says, I want to be just like Jesus. I want to be just like my dad. I want to be just like my heavenly father who's poured life into his son and who's made a way for me. I want to be just like Jesus. I want to live a life just like him. You know, it's like, we can let that rise. And in, in the flow that we're in, uh, this scripture that we come to this morning really plays really nicely. And when, I, when we read it together here at first, you might be a little bit like, what's Brad? talking about because you know maybe some of us have been waiting for this because we think you know someone's gonna 
cop a correction <laughs> or, uh, or an inspiration or, or, or a something. But let's read the scripture first. I'll talk about it a little bit and we'll jump into a couple discussion sections like we usually do. So, all right, Ephesians chapter five, we're going to overlap it by three verses, two verses with, with what we previously read. So Ephesians chapter five, verse 19 to 33 says, speak to one another in psalms and spiritual songs, offering praise by singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, the reason why we're catching these two verses instead of just jumping straight into 22 is because it flows on. You know, he, he's saying there, uh, you know, this is the kind of life you can live, you know, and this is on the back of saying, imitate Jesus as you imitate his father. And he's characterizing that for us. And he's saying one of the things that we can do in imitating him is, is, is uh, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you know, I'm not sure we've got a really good grid for what subjection looks like. I'm not sure we have a fondness or an affection for it. You know, we live in a very independent, you know, we talked last week about the Titus, Tim, Titus, Second Timothy, Timothy, Second Timothy 3, which was a bit like, hey, this is what culture is going to look like when things get rough and it's going to be hard to live in it because it's not going to look like what you're meant to live in. And it talks about self-focus. It talks about you know, a whole bunch of characteristics that are not the kingdom life that we're made to live. And let's be honest, subjection to one another or to Christ has no place in the Second Timothy 3 characterization of life. And we've become adjusted to that and comfortable with it. And so the notion of anything that sounds like subjection is actually, mm, is that really a good thing? Could that be a good thing? What's that look like? What does a mature, healthy view of that look like? But on the back of that, it goes on and it begins to speak to wives and husbands. And so we'll read that. Wives, oh, watch yourself, Ben. This is, because this is gonna thump. <laughs> yeah, you know, boomerang feels like it's not gonna smack you in the face, but rest assured, it's coming back. All right, wives, be subject. Be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. Husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God, so that in turn he might present the church to himself in glorious splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy, set apart for God and blameless. Even so, husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being in a sense their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are all members, parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and, and faithfully devoted to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of the two becoming one is great, but I'm speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church. 
However, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own self, with behavior worthy of respect and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. And the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you sort of pick this up and it feels like a bit of a two-lane conversation happening. I mean, is Paul talking to us here about marriage and Christ and the church being an example for us of marriage? Or is he talking to us about Christ and the church and marriage being an example to us of what that should look like? Because these two pictures are on the table. Here is how Christ is toward his church. And here is how the church is towards Christ. That's language is in this passage. But he's also saying here is a wife to a husband and a husband to a wife. And here is how that should look. And it's like if we here in this room sit here today and we are reaching for something of the truth of the gospel and Jesus Christ from these words, which is our most powerful example to draw upon? Is Christ and his love for the church, his devotion and his selflessness, the intimacy, the desire, the love, the kindness, the goodness that he shows towards his people, is that a powerful example to us that we know and are well acquainted with and have an experience of that goes, oh yes, as a husband, that's how I'm to be to my wife. And as a wife, that's how I'm to be to my husband. Is that real? Is it tangible? Is it beneficial or is it helpful? Or conversely, is what we share together as husbands and wives or as people who have examples in our life of husbands and wives or a marriage relationship, is that an inspirational example to us of how Christ might see the church? I say this morning that we might just be up the creek on both fronts. I'm not sure either of these pictures are really going to help us take hold our, or we're at very least at risk of missing it because these pictures were meant to bring two things to life in sync with each other, right? Here is how a wife should be toward a husband and here's how a husband is supposed to be toward a wife and let me make you the connection for you that this is how Christ is towards the church and this is how the church is to be towards Christ and these two things are pictures of how God meant life to be in its most personal and exposed and vulnerable sense of a marriage relationship, a place you cannot hide, where you are seen, where you are known, where the true character of your life is on display, right? And then he's equating that to this relationship that we as the church, because you know what, we, we, we might even like want to individualize this one and say, as Christ, as a husband is to a wife, Christ should be in your life. That's not what he's saying. He's taking this most intimate, most personal, most vulnerable relationship and saying, this is the life, this is the love that Christ demonstrates not towards you, but towards us. 
And I think we need a, a mindset shift in this that says there is an affection, there is an intimacy, there is a purpose, there is a relationship that God has to his people that is to provide us our inspiration for marriage. Or marriage is meant to be our best example of the relationship that Jesus desires toward his church. Both of those are helpful if we can expand our thinking and raise the bar to go, Jesus, how do you feel toward your people? And, and, you know, we have some pieces of this puzzle, you know, he's, he's the, this passage in John that says greater love has no one than this, that he would lay his life down for his friends. Well, we know that's what Jesus did, right? This is what he did, that we would know love. I mean, this is earlier on in Ephesians, you know, it, it, we, we get these pieces. We get these pieces of the puzzle and, 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 and Paul's been kind of wooing us towards some of these things all the way through this letter. But in Ephesians chapter 3, 16 to 19, he says, may he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through his spirit in your inner self, indwelling your innermost being and personality so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith and you may, and you may, and sorry, and may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, God's people, the width and the length and the height and the depth of his love, fully experiencing that amazing, endless love, and that you and that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. This in our collection of being together is to be the picture of marriage. Or marriage is to be the picture of this deep, unending, unselfish, life-flooding presence of God drawing us into a deep, wide, extensive love beyond comprehension. And that together we will experience that more fully than I can personally. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, uh, we see the love of God for his people in the way he's led Ben and Janessa. And we can take that and we can say he's calling people out. I can, I can assist with that, with a, a big stomp. <laughs> You're all right, dude. You're all right. I, you know, we can, we can see his pictures of this. We can see his pictures of this in how, he, how he's dealing with Ben and Janessa. He calls you out of sure and secure things into unsure and uncertain things. He calls you out of, he sees the desires in your hearts. I mean, I remember the story all the way back to the beginning. I didn't have to see your permission to use you as an example, but Ben said it would likely happen. So I took that as permission. You know, I remember some of the conversations that we had early on in, 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 in this exchange of what your desires were for yourself, for your family, for Archie, for your own marriage. God heard those things and he called you into the goodness of himself and he's pouring his love and his plan and his 
his purpose. Now, he didn't lay it all out. He didn't make it easy. He didn't make it simple. But he's provided at every step of the goodness and kindness and love of God. He's teaching you to trust him, to rely upon him, to take faith in what he has. He's made ways at appropriate times and open doors, and you've never been without, and you've never been stuck, and you've not been sent home, and the desires of your heart haven't been disappointed. He's been good. And so I can watch in this and go, this is a loving God who is cherishing this family and who is establishing what only he could and calling them to something. And the story's not all told. And so he's a God who's still writing that story. Well, or you could take my story, or we could take Hannah's story, or we could take Asenlaus's story, or Curtis and Carlana's story. We could jump into any of these, but when we start to go, what is the character of Jesus towards his church? And we take our stories and pull them together and go, our God is leading us towards himself. He's wooing us towards one another. He's establishing something. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to build something between us and among us that reflects his goodness toward us. What is his story toward his people? Well, we just need to look around and go, what is God doing in the lives of his people? How is he treating us? How is he operating? What is the story over 10 years, 20 years? You know, some of the character of God can only be known as we remain faithful and faith-filled over an extended period of time and measure it based on that. Because it's dangerous on week five of a house sale project to measure the goodness of God toward you. Right? Like in any given moment, we are at risk of mischaracterizing the story of God toward his people. But when we look at this over time and over history, it's like, what is the love of Jesus toward his church? And are we prepared to view his church, his bride, as something more than something we attend on a Sunday or come to as a program or tithe to bless your hearts? But it's like, what, you know, what is this that he has such affection for that he would take the most personal and intimate relationships that we will be afforded in our lives and says, this is what I want you to take as your example for that. You know, and then he's characterizing it here. What point is Paul trying to make here? Uh, uh, for us, regardless, if they had such a powerful and innate picture of the love of Jesus towards the church and that was challenging their marriages to a greater level, well, then we have some work to do in our perspective. Would you say? I think so. I think I need to come back then to Ephesians chapter three and go, by your spirit, would you empower and energize within me a knowledge of the heights and the depths and the widths and the lengths of this love that I might know with all of the saints, this extraordinary unending presence of God-based love that you have for your people. I don't wanna just talk about it. It says that you would know by experience. And so it's like, okay, well, let's, let's keep lumbering towards that. So then let's lend marriage to us this morning as a picture of the goodness of God toward his church, self-sacrifice. And, 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 and it's here, you know, he says, husbands, love your wives, seek the highest good, surround her with caring and unselfish love. Well, is that our experience of Jesus? Does he surround you with an unselfish and caring love. Yeah, I think sometimes we treat him like he just wants something from us. Like our lives are like currency to be spent on his purpose. And we miss it, that he has such an affection for us. 
you know, it, 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 it goes on to characterize this over and over again, you know, that there's a protection in this, there's a nourishment, there's a cherishing, uh, you know, and, and this, this picture of oneness that's inherent within this passage is so challenging to us. It is so challenging. He says to the husband, he says, you know, you, you need to be good to your wife because basically it's just like treating your own self well. And this is, this is what is uh, the truest human reality, that when God makes us one, the good that I do to another is as though it's done to myself. He's, he's taking an interpersonal characteristic and he's saying this is truly how it is. And he's using marriage as the example of it, but we know he's paralleling the church and himself, right? So we're holding that intention in this idea of oneness. But I mean, the truth of the matter is, you know what detrimentally affects Leela detrimentally affects me. I can't escape it. This was the hardest thing for me in marriage. I remember saying to someone about four months into marriage, holy smokes, I feel like I've just doubled down on the bad days because I got bad days and Leela's got bad days. But now I'm doubly exposed to the bad days because my bad days are still there. And if they don't line up with her bad days, I got twice as many bad days happening here. I was like, I thought this thing was just going to be amazing. This is twice as many bad days. Her bad days are my bad days, and I'm still having bad days. Well, we need to organize our bad days because there doesn't seem to be too much room for good days here. <laughs> but it's true, right? Can you relate? Maybe? Maybe I'm a little bit cynical, but it's like, okay, so get married. Double down the bad days. Maybe have a think about that, single people. <laughs> All the single people have a think about it. <laughs> anyway, but it's more than that. <laughs> I'll tell you what. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's not, it's, it's not what's going to build the next house as, so we'll just push that one to the side. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> uh, but, you know, w we expose our life one to another, and what benefits another benefits me, and what troubles another troubles me. And it's like when we think about that as, as what's being you know, suggested here is that the care and the love that we pour out towards those to whom we're joined is actually like nourishing and protecting and establishing our own self because we are joined. Who mistreats their own body? Okay, well, maybe there's a challenge in there. Maybe there's a challenge in there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll let that hang out there, but it's like, you know, what I cherish and what I love, you know, how, how much of our conflict in our personal relationships come from trying to get what we want, get what we need. Well, it's like maybe me to need, maybe me to need, maybe, maybe give to something outside of myself and watch the whole be nourished in the process. And marriage is a picture of that. And church is a picture of that. You know, and we, we know that in, in this picture, the one doing the most protecting, the most nourishing, the most caring for us collectively is Jesus. And then our example of that is that marriage is a place that we can begin to practice this. You know, life has been given to us to introduce us to the kingdom of God, right? That's its purpose. It's its point that we could practice, that we could take faith, that we could receive the kingdom. You know, there's a whole lot of things we get told that life's about. Get a house, get married, have kids, build a family, leave a legacy, make money, do whatever. Whatever you've set it on, like, let's set it on that. But, but let's just say, like, from God's perspective, this picture of life was that we could receive the kingdom of heaven on earth, that we could practice in this environment receiving a kingdom that Jesus meant for his people. 
And so marriage has been given to us, parenthood has been given to us as incredibly formative experiences to practice receiving the kingdom. This is my place to practice being selfless. This is my place to practice being caring. This is my place to practice seeing something other than a selfish need. And it's like, if that doesn't start at home, if the only people that we're caring about are loving are the ones where somebody sees it and praises me for it, it's not flowing from character. If the place that I'm best is when I come here and I sit in front of you and I share, if this is the most polished, beautiful version of Brad and the rest of me needs to get shoved in a closet and hidden from everyone, as good Hannah's here because she sees us every day, good days and bad days, and there's bad days. But it's like if the best of who we are is only ever put on public display, if we're saving our most generous love and lavish, cherished activities for when someone's going to see and praise me, there's something to look at and go, okay, God's given me this relationship, a marriage relationship as a context to practice receiving the kingdom of God and seeing how Jesus intended us to be as a church and him to be toward us. And it's like, okay, on both of these fronts, our experiences are failing us to provide the appropriate example. And so this passage presents an enormous challenge for us, I think, on both fronts, that, that, that this idea of the mystery being great, of the relationship of Christ to the church and the two becoming one, that we as the people of God would beat with the heart of God, would live the soul of God, would think the thoughts of God, would express the love of God, would see the character of Jesus Christ flowing among us and through us into a world. Like that's a beautiful and wonderful picture. But, but we don't have enough challenge in our life to say, it's not just about you. Okay, Leela and I, we are extraordinarily different people. Like, so different. Lila likes everything neat and tidy. I really couldn't care less. You know, Lila really loves a routine. I'm probably a lot more spontaneous. Uh, I'm probably have a, anyway, we're very, very different people. <laughs> very, very different people. Uh, but as we have continued to do life together, we have both changed. I am not who I was when Lila met me. And some people call that training. <laughs> That's not appropriate, ladies. You do not. You get a dog if you want to train someone, not a husband. All right? That's the way it works. But we... But we <laughs> and you know the best way to change someone is by accepting who they are completely and just embracing them. We don't change people by having agendas for their lives. You know, grace and acceptance allow things to come together in safety. And in that environment we imitate to one another the healthy sides of ourselves, and we form together something greater. Well, that's happened for Leela and I. I can't say, if I look back on who I was 20 years ago, what impact has being coming one with Leela had on who I am, on how I live, on how I present myself, on what I value. I mean, Leela's pain became my pain. Leela's story became my story. My story became Leela's story. My pain became her pain. Her strengths became my strengths. My strengths became her strengths. We formed together and now we have something we didn't have because actually we are mutually living a life that's contributing one to another. I don't prioritize the same things anymore. I don't live for the same things I once did. I could only say that this life I live is now Brad and Leela, not Brad alone. 
oh, that's Paul's language. But that's oneness. And I see it happening 20 years into my marriage with Leela. I can't say this life is now Brad's life. This life is now a life that's been formed and shaped so heavily and so deeply by Leela. I need to put a stamp on this living and say, this is now a life that's been shaped so much by a person who I share life with, that this life is Brad and Leela. It's no longer Brad. Now, I haven't lost my personal identity. I haven't, I haven't become codependent. I haven't blurred the lines, and I'm not confused about the fact that we're different people, but I've been changed by sharing a life with this beautiful woman. Well, this is what Paul said about Jesus. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This life I live is no longer my own, but this life I live is Christ. That's how it's meant to be that we are so affected and so impacted by who he is, by what he values, that we become so enmeshed with a lifestyle and a love and a character and a nature and a way that we become one. Not me become one, but we become one with him. That as Curtis has changed and Carlana has changed and Hannah has changed and all of us become changed by him, that we say something has happened and we are like him. And actually, Carlana carries a different piece of Jesus than I do, but wow, that's who he is. And James carries a different piece of Jesus, but oh, I've seen that in my savior. And wow, when we bring this life that we've been formed together, I can't say I'm living my own life. I'm living this Christ life that's so mutually expressed to me and so joined to those who I'm with. And we feel his affection for us. You know, he has a greater affection for us than for you. Maybe that feels offensive. But he's not coming back for you. If you think you are the bride of Christ, you need to go read it again. We are the bride of Christ. And, and when we treat our own body with contempt, we're destroying ourselves. And marriage is our picture for this. He's giving this to us in, in this scripture saying a husband and a wife, husbands, why wouldn't you cherish your wife? You're like destroying yourself by mistreating her. I'm a husband, so I'm coming the husband side a lot more in this scripture, but it does say be subject one to another. That's the beginning. And then it says, wives, be subject to your husbands. Okay, well, if this is who husbands were, subjection wouldn't be control. Subjection would be giving you a voice. Do you, does Jesus treat you like a way that says, Shh, sit down, shut up, let me tell you what's happening. Have you experienced that from Jesus? Oh, I just want my experience of him. Does he demand his own way? Oh, well, I think the scriptures actually speak directly to that. Love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast, keeps no record of wrongs, does not demand its own way. So if we are exhibiting the love of God in our relationships, it is a different picture and subjection isn't something that rules and lords over me. It's something that lifts up and establishes and gives confidence and gives wings and gives safety. And it's like, we are subject one to another, but there is a culture setter in this that says somebody in this relationship better get a revelation of who Jesus is and bring that to the table in this family because that's the only way we're gonna flourish. And it's like, well, somebody got to put their hand up and say, okay, if Jesus got a good way, I'll, I'll, I'll live that out. But it doesn't make somebody more important. It doesn't give somebody the say. It doesn't make somebody the boss. I don't see any of that in the way Jesus treats his people. 
And so if, if subjection is about a mutual partnership of becoming one and seeing the things of God established and flourishing and loving and going, this is who we'll be. As for me and my house, we are going to serve Jesus. Like, let's be that. Let's let his love come and change the story. Let's not take our pictures uh, from capitalist CEO-based society that is not God's picture. I'm not saying business needs to be undone. I'm just saying that's not God's picture for his church. God's picture for his church is that Jesus would be the head. And our example of how he treats his people is what he says, build your family on this, build your marriage on this idea. Let your, let your relationships with your nearest and dearest be the thing that causes you to consider what it is like for us to be joined and subjected to Christ and receive his love and his care and his goodness. I mean, I mean I'm talking a lot longer than I intended to and uh, but I think it's just so easy to pick up these threads on this and go, wives, be subject to your husbands. Ben, I know you were looking for something as asked me at the beginning as well. He said, like, this is going to benefit me, right? Yeah. I promised it would. <laughs> but it's like... <laughs> I'll, we'll leave you to some quiet time <laughs> to <laughs> receive Jesus on your own in the corner. <laughs> save him, Lord, <laughs> from himself and laws. Uh, but it's, you know, you know, there is this challenging two-lane picture here that I think as I sat in this this morning, yesterday, it's like, oh, man, Jesus, I'm not sure we have a hope. If our marriages are meant to be an example of the love you have for your church, I think we have some work to do. And if our understanding of your love for your church is to be our picture for our marriages, I think we have some work to do in knowing and understanding and receiving in coming back to in Ephesians chapter three, that by his spiritual energization of power within our deepest heart, that he would give us a revelation and an experience of his presence and his love that helps us understand as all God's people do, how high and how deep and how wide and how immensely consuming the love of Jesus for his church is. We need it. We need it. We need this. We need some bar raising experiences and we're having them. So let's acknowledge them. Let's take note of them, not just in our own life, not just in our worst moments. Let's collect our story together and go, who is our God to us, to us? What is the affection and the love that he's demonstrating? What's the nourishment and the care? What's the protection and the, the oversight that, you know, what is he demonstrating toward us whom he loves? And let's allow our most personal, most intimate, most exposed relationships to be the place where we begin to practice this, where we reach for this. All right, I've said enough. Let's, let's take some time just to chew on this idea a little bit. Let's let this scripture just kind of like, just kind of challenge us in, in a sense of, you know, both sides of it, where in marriage, is this notion of such a oneness and a, a care, a cherishment, a concern, a mutual love. And, you know, it's not one person's job to do the loving. You know, I would have said some time ago, I would have said, you know what? I think Jesus just knew what everybody needed and he was speaking to weakness here. And maybe I'm going to get myself in trouble in this one. Uh, <laughs> Janessa has played it out already. <laughs> 
maybe we as husbands need a bit of a reminder to be loving. Uh, Ella's not confused about who to go to when she bumps her knee, and it's not because I'm not caring. It's not because I'm not compassionate. There's something deep within a heart of a of a maternal being that there's just a, a, a you know Ella goes to her mom need mommy need mommy need mommy she, well she fell over with me she's in my arms I need mommy I need mommy I need a love that comes from my mom so maybe it's a little easier to embrace a really affectionate caring compassionate cherishing cherishing love for those who call themselves wives and maybe we as husbands need a challenge to say, hey, all the loving isn't the ladies' jobs. This is who I'm asking you to be. And maybe, maybe we could look across the scheme of life and say, there's a piece of the puzzle that goes, I don't find it so difficult to subject myself to Leela's desires or to what she wants. And maybe there's a piece there that is comes more naturally or more easily. And maybe that doesn't make sense. Maybe it's maybe I'm just wrong about this because I'm not quoting the scriptures here. I'm just this is just, you know, conjecture or characterization at the end. But maybe just maybe like Paul's speaking to areas of tendency of the flesh to fail. And maybe we as the husbands could use a reminder that there's an affectionate, cherishing, protecting love that Jesus has toward us that is how we are to treat ourselves. And maybe our wives need a reminder that it's like, uh, hey, there's a, there's a like pump the brakes and, and let it go the other way or hear the voice out or listen or I don't, I don't, I'm straying already. I feel, I feel I'm, look at Tim. He's like, uh-oh, 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 he's saying it. I'm not going to quote. I'm not going to quote the verse out of Genesis that we talk about so often in our home. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, well, there's a one particular version out there that I found, and you have to go hunting for it. <laughs> That says something to the effect of, you will desire to control him, but he will rule over you. <laughs> it's, part of the, it's part of the curse that fell, and so it's not your fault that you want to control me, Leela. Uh, but anyways, that's enough on that. That's, I did say it. I did say it, didn't I? Well, Jesus, protect us all. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's, let's take a minute. Let's look at this, and let's go. Just, just, let's, let's just chew on this idea. There's so much in this around our relationships to one another as husbands and wives or as the examples that we have around us in this area. There's so much in this around the church and Jesus and how he views us and how he characterizes this love that he has towards us. So jump into it where you like and challenge it how you wish. Uh, yeah. But, but let's let the bar be raised in our, in, in our production of the life of love to which we've been caught up in. So, all right, let's jump into a couple groups. Maybe if a couple people want to go up and uh, have a chat with Leela as well at the top, that'd be cool. So let's, let's chew into this verse and then we'll come back together.